Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey, hey, y'all. Welcome to the Heart of Dating today. I'm your host, Kate Warman. And guess what, you guys? We are coming to a close of season six of the podcast. But trust me when I tell you, we are closing out this season with some incredible content for you. Before we get into the episode for today, I want to make a shout out to anyone who might be new here. We have a lot of podcast content here on Heart of Dating. So I want to encourage you to scroll back through and take a peek at what we have here at Heart of Dating. Look at the titles and the podcast summaries because guess what? Chances are, if you have a dating question, we probably have answered it at some point here on Heart of Dating. This podcast is the heartbeat of all that we do here on Heart of Dating. Also on that note, if you are new here and you're enjoying what you're listening to, would you do us a favor? Would you take one minute to rank and review us on iTunes? You guys know I'm a goal person and I was talking to my team and I decided I'd love to get us to 1500 reviews by the end of this month. We are currently at 1,239 reviews. So do you guys think you could help us get to 1500 reviews by the end of season six? Here's actually what we're gonna do. From now until the end of season six, which happens to be the last day of March on March 31st, we wanna invite you to rank us and write us a review on iTunes. And for anyone who writes a review, we will be selecting three people to give a $50 Amazon gift card to. I mean, who doesn't love Amazon right now, right? I mean, during this global pandemic, I've given Amazon a lot of my money as it has been my favorite thing to just prime things to my house whenever I need it. So that's my wish as we close out season six. If you haven't rated and reviewed this podcast, would you do that? It's super easy. You can just go to the podcast main page on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to where it has the word stars, and then hit the button that says write a review. Hit five stars and then write us that review and you will be on your merry way and entered to win a $50 Amazon gift card. All right, now a few other ways to get involved with us if you aren't already. Join what we are up to over on Instagram. You can find us at at Heart of Dating and at Kateness on Instagram. We love connecting with you guys and we really do try to post as much helpful content as possible over there. Last but certainly not least, come and join our private Heart of Dating Facebook community. We have thousands and thousands of singles talking about wisdom, growing in God, and sharing about the good, bad, and ugly in their dating lives. This group does Bible studies together, game nights, worship nights, and some of them are even going through the conference content together from the Singled Out Conference. Also, it's an incredible opportunity and way to meet other singles, whether you meet your very best friend or whether you drop the hanky on someone and maybe even start dating. You can go and visit facebook.com forward slash heart of dating, like our Facebook page there, and then go to groups on the left hand side and click to join the private Facebook community. I just love all of our new friends and I'm so thankful that you guys listen to this podcast. We are in this together. All right, you guys, we're getting into it today. Last week, we talked about gender roles with Jamie and Aaron Ivey, and I kind of think that that was just a primer for today's conversation with my girl, Tiffany Bloom. 
Today, Tiffany and I are talking about narcissism, silencing women, and feminism. Woof, y'all, let me tell you, it is such a conversation. (gasps) Talking about narcissism, silencing women, and feminism. Oh my gosh, and guess what, you guys? Tiffany has become a good friend of mine for the past several months. So this conversation is just so fun and so real because her and I bounce off of one another and have such a good energy and connection. Now, here's the thing that many of you guys don't really know. Many years ago, I was actually in an abusive relationship and it just so happened that my abuser at the time worked for a big church. No one ever thought he could do the things that he was doing to me behind closed doors. Why did people believe him over me? Why did people side with him and just feel like I was being dramatic? Well, we actually talk about that today with Tiffany. Also in this last year, we've seen so many pastors exposed with allegations like addictions and affairs and sexual abuse and so many other things. My heart has been really broken and simultaneously, it sadly hasn't been all that shocked. Why hasn't it been all that shocked? Well, we talk about it today. Tiffany Bloom is the author of Pray Tell, why we silence women who tell the truth and how everyone can speak up. She is the co-host of the podcast, Why Though, and speaks at conferences and events around the world. Her work has been featured in World Vision Magazine and on the YouVersion Bible app, as well as on the Hallmark Channel and the Jenny McCarthy Show. She is committed to encouraging people of faith to live with conviction, substance, and grace. As a minority immigrant woman with an interracial family, Bloom is passionate about inviting all to the table of faith, equality, justice, and dignity. She currently lives in the Pacific Northwest. Oh my gosh, Tiffany is just the woman. Y'all, she is so great. You're gonna have to find her on Instagram because she speaks some truth. And guess what? Her book, Pray Tell, just came out. Such a good book. I flew through it and while I was reading it, I was amening and hallelujahing and my jaw was dropped onto the floor so many different times because she just speaks such truth. I was like, did she just say that? Yes, she did. So if you are excited about the title of her book or the title of today's conversation, let me tell you, you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Tiffany Bloom. What is up? It's Tiffany Bloom on Heart of Dating today. What's up, girl? Hey. How you doing, my friend? You know what? I'm hanging in there. It's some wild days we're living in, so I'm just trying to keep my head above water and live my best life, and I'm excited to be here with you. I am so excited we're having this conversation because, girl, as I was reading your book, the book that we're getting into today, I was like just amening, praise handsings, like clapping, like, oh, she just said that. Oh, my gosh, that statistic, like all the things and all the research you put into this and just it. I can relate to this for so many reasons. I know that a lot of people listening will be able to relate to it once they hear this conversation and read your book. But um, okay, now that I've just prefaced it, tell us about your book, which is called Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. Tell me a little bit about like why you wrote this book and who you are, my amazing friend. <laughs> yes. Well, who I am, I am an author, writer, and speaker. I live in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle area, and I've had my hand and heart at the intersection of faith, justice, and women um, for the majority of my Mm. adult life. And it really is my greatest passion. It's how I want to spend myself. So everything I write or speak on or create is really geared around that. Um, Many years ago, I started a women's gathering called SIP, 
where we have fine wine and beautiful food created by a local chef. And we do beautiful dinners and talk scripture. And it started out with 12 gals um, because I just wanted to have Bible study. (laughs) And it's turned into, we serve about 500 women a year here. And I'm married. I've been married for about 12 years. And I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old and six-year-old. My oldest is adopted from Uganda. I'm an adult adoptee, adopted from India. And my youngest is straight out the chute. So we got a little United Nations going on. And I wrote this book because it was really birthed out of my own experience of speaking truth to power and losing more than I thought I ever could possibly in the process. And as I unearthed why a man can abuse his power at a woman's expense and get away with it and discover how women are often disposable and men are indispensable, I really grappled with the financial, professional, spiritual, and and religious implications of doing so and how we must address this in are in the workplace where we worship and our dating relationships and our marriages because there is some stink in the water and we got to tend to it. Oh, I'm so grateful for this book and your story and your willingness to write it and go to these places. And as we dive into this conversation, I'm just so excited for it because today, you guys, we're talking about narcissism, silencing women, and feminism, and a whole lot of other things. But before we get into some of my questions, I want to read literally the opening line from your book because, girl, it's just profound. I was like, yep, this is going to be great. Okay, so I'm going to read it right now. It says, the practice of silencing women is not a female issue male issue, Democrat issue, Republican issue, black issue, white issue, Asian issue, Latinx issue, indigenous issue, evangelical issue, mainline issue, upper class issue, middle class issue, or lower class issue. It's an everyone issue. Okay. Dang girl, just preach that. I'm like, yes, it is an everyone issue. Okay. So with that, I want to transition in to just some ways that you believe that the church has silenced women. Uh, this is a real thing. And we have pe- people listening to this podcast who are coming from all sorts of different denominations and different backgrounds. Uh, but I here am a single woman leading a podcast, single woman, speaker, leader, all the things. It's very interesting sometimes, some of the messages I get. But there are, you know, there's just been some ways that the church has silenced women, specifically through a lack of women in leadership and just old school complementarian views that have kept women small. And so I would just love to throw that and toss the ball over to you, Tiffany, to kind of open that up a little bit more for us. Absolutely. So when you think of the early church in the first century, it was incredible, incredibly egalitarian, meaning men and women were seen as equals, both in their identity and their aptitude and their assets and how they were able to contribute to human flourishing. But we take these few household codes by Paul, or we look at the Old Testament mm-hmm. and we say, this is how it should be. We see it as prescriptive rather than a certain time, a certain place. But then you look at Jesus in the New Testament and you see just how much he empowered women to lead and teach and preach and prophesy. But but that Greco-Roman influence seeped into the church. So the culture of the day was shaping and forming the culture of the church, not the culture of the church shaping and forming the culture of the day. So then you see that subjugation of women just seep in to congregations and the early church. You think of the early church fathers, I think of like Tertullian, who believed that a woman's body was the epitome of evil in the world and a man's body was purity. So if a man were to bed a woman, he would give himself over to evil. Oh my! And gosh. you know, some scholars believed that, and early church fathers believed that women were deformed men. And 
in, in the first century, you know, women were able to hold a testimony. They believed that they were truly uh, lusty liars, if you will, that they were not capable mm. of truth-telling and honesty, that they existed for pleasure or consumption. Mm, wow. So from the beginning of the the dawn of the church, we have had this idea that women are secondary, deformed men even, some wow. scholars say. So if you have that understanding mm. where women were from the beginning seen as less than, even though the very message of the resurrection was mounted on a woman's shoulders to go and tell the disciples, you know, the disciples came to the tomb Mm -hmm. and Jesus didn't reveal himself. It was only after they left. So we see the intentionality that Jesus had in entrusting this beautiful, incredible life changing Mm. everlasting word to a woman. Mm -hmm. So now you move on throughout the years and you see that women are treated as second. They're treated as less despite the church's charge to treat women as equals. They were informed to shape culture and bring heaven to earth and, and give us this Eden view that we are lacking that is, especially in the old Testament, we see how, you know, David's own daughter was sexually exploited by his son and he did nothing but silence. So then you fast forward. And I think of really the time of the printing press and the reformation where women were even more confined to the place of the home and childbearing and treating their motherhood as the apex of the Christian life. And in reality, as women, our greatest call is to love and follow Jesus, not to be mothers, not to get married. It really is. All Those are good things. Obviously, those are good things. I want those things. We all want those things. But to be a sold out follower of Jesus is really the invitation. So it almost, uh, it turned into this idolatrous way of how a woman should be. And it left even less positions of leadership in the public square and in church because women were now just at home. So again, that subjugation, that lording over of women, putting them in their place happened. And it was at the church's agenda. And I think when you add the the printing press on top of that, then you have all of this uh, disseminating information handed out to households and churches around the world that this is the way things should be. And it's very much this, thus saith the Lord, this is how things are. This is what's right. Whereas patriarchy has no roots in the gospel. Then you fast forward to the mm. purity movement to the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Yes. And after the sexual yeah. revolution of the 70s. <laughs> yeah, the sexual revolution mm. of the 70s, the Southern Baptist Convention wanted to have a campaign, if you will, to combat this you know, era of anything goes. Mm-hmm. And what they did was instead of visioneering partnership and wholeness and beauty and connection and shared leadership, They projected this idea that actually mirrors rape culture that says a woman is responsible for the actions and choices of a man. There's something she did, said, wore, the way she talked, the way she carried herself. She's responsible. So we've put that ball in their court and they're responsible for other people's downfall. Now that's a lot to carry, especially as a 13, 14 year old, 15 year old girl who wants to wear a white t-shirt or spaghetti straps and we're told we are the cause of all evil in the world. That's a lot to bear. And we have put the onus on women to avoid abuse of power by men and boys and teenage boys, especially than we have on men to behave justly. So here we are in this modern day with this skewed vision of the gospel that puts half the church benched as you need to sit down. You don't have a place in leadership, but if you look, um, at any society in the world, you would see the advancements made and the goodness brought to everyone, men, women, and children, when women are in places of leadership, most specifically the church. The church has a long way to go. And again, the goal isn't men and women completely separate or 
men subjugating women. That's where we've been, right? Completely separate them or the Billy Graham rule, Mike Pence rule, whatever you want to call it. Well, then, which of course leaves women out of decision-making rooms and out of leadership positions. But then you have the, okay, well then we'll subjugate them and harass them and exploit them and pay them less and be the gatekeeper. So if they don't play by our rules, we'll kick them out of the room. Neither of those are a win-win for men or women. And in reality, the goal here is partnership partnership in dating, partnership in marriage, partnership in the workplace, and partnership at church. Oh, girl. Word. Word to your mother on all of that. I mean, seriously, that is so good. And I was going to bring up the purity movement now, so we'll move into just that for a second because there's a lot of negative labels that the church has put on women and that men have put on women, especially Christian women. And, you know, specifically that that narrative that as single women, we are here, and even as married women, we are here to help mitigate a man's lust. And my story completely goes into that narrative. And in chapter three of my book, it's called Never Have I Ever. And I talk way more about, and thank you for rejecting me, about how these narratives led me to eventually one day being raped and never feeling like I could share it with anybody because just like you actually said, a lot of the things that I felt, I felt I knew this person. It must've been my fault. I must've led them on. Maybe it was because I was wearing something that tempted them. And like, you know, the whole never make your fellow brother stumble. Like what? (laughs) As if women have zero sexuality, our sexuality has been flattened and it's only the males. And also it's very demeaning to men in my opinion, because it also indicates that men have zero self-control and like, that's really demeaning and flattening to a man as well. What's interesting though, in so many cases is that this, we look at to the woman as like, if the man messes up, what did you do? And I want to quote something that you read in that you wrote in your book. You said this, as men are accused and even some convicted in courts of law, many of us turn our questions at the women. What kind of woman would find herself in these situations in the first place? Does she have values? What are her morals? What was she wearing? Did she ask for it? Was she leading him on? Why would she do this to him? Is she trying to ruin his marriage? Does she have a Jezebel spirit? Who does she think she is? And you even talk about this. I love this connection in relation to Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. And this was fascinating for me as you opened this up in the book. But, you know, the public forgave Bill um, once he apologized and came out and all that. But they demonize Monica as the homewrecker, as the flirt, and as you know, the, the cause for Bill's downfall. And as you wrote about this, I was like, wait, yeah, really? Like even to this day, there's all these terrible jokes about Monica and like what a homewrecker she is. And I'm like, wow. Okay. I, I didn't even really, to be honest, think about it <laughs> that way, but women are expected to be the ones that avoid abuse, to not, to not provoke the man. And it's our responsibility. And so I just think I've seen a lot of dating situations. Now there's a lot of people that, um, listen to this podcast and that were impacted by the purity culture. And most of those people are millennials (laughs) and there are a lot of millennials today are still single, just like myself. And so could you unpack how that impacts women and even men and how they're single men and women, how they're approaching dating today. Yeah. And this isn't in the book. So I, I wish I would have put it in there and I learned it a little bit later, but you'll, it's, it's not unsurprising to find that much of the trauma that men and women had, specifically women from the purity movement, this belief that it was so much shame that they would cause a man to stumble, that they did something wrong, that they are inherently bad, which is mm-hmm. what we're really trying to say here. You are inherently bad. Yeah. And if someone takes advantage of you, 
you're dirty and you deserved it. Mm-hmm. So with that, yeah. there a lot of therapists have seen the same PTSD of an actual sexual assault survivor in somebody who grew up in the Pyrenee movement who hadn't had sexual relations before because the shame and the condemnation rewired their their neurology and their brain in such a way that they believed that they were the problem. And we only add to this in society by victim blaming, by telling women, you did this. You know, even to Monica Lewinsky, think of how many times she was told, you're the homewrecker. You, you know, in Hillary Clinton, you you destroyed my marriage. And in reality, it takes two to tango. And really, when you look at an imbalance of power, it takes one to tango. It takes one to abuse his platform, his prestige, his physical size, his class, his race, his resources, all of those things. But in the church context, we must be able to sit back and look of how we've caused, just as you said, specifically millennials who really grew up in that era, that era of the early 90s to late 90s, even early 2000s of the purity culture and the purity movement. When things did kick off, it was this happened because you're sinful and you did something and this is why it happened. Now, what happens is we give men a free pass because they are inherently sexual, that they can't control themselves and that this was on you. So that, that broken understanding. And honestly, we almost, and I, and I talk about this a little bit in the book is we almost say, this is actually evidence that you're a red blooded man and that everything's working just as it should. If you want her, want to do something to her. And if you take advantage of her, it's actually proof that you're you're who you should be and that you're operating as a wild at heart guy. And in reality, we're treating women again as mm. prey. <laughs> we're treating prey them as something tell, to be yes. devoured, conquered, mm. or consumed. Mm. And it's only stopping the societal sympathy necessary in faith spaces particular to appropriately address these issues. Because what happens, and I've heard this dozens upon dozens, dare I say even over a hundred times just in the last few months of Pray Tell really hitting stores and these these copies out there is, you know, it's this one-two punch. The one, the first punch is being exploited by a man who believes that he had every right to take advantage of you. Mm. And the, the second punch is the system who is complicit in enabling him and believing that really it was your fault and you shouldn't have been in harm's way. Mm. So we are there's this secondary shame that's placed upon women, especially in faith cultures that we see of, you know, and and women we watch from a distance and we think, look what happened to her. Why would I ever speak up? Yeah. Why would I ever allow myself to be in that situation? Yeah. So we go underground. We self-silence well before anyone will silence us. Ooh. That's true. And that's my story. Like I didn't tell people about my sexual assault because I was like <gasps> what would people think of me? Not, and not that I really didn't think anyone believed me. I thought it would just be shame in my direction. It wasn't until years later when it was unearthed that I was like, and it took me a long time, even when it was unearthed to even admit that it was rape. Like I was like, Oh no, I got sexually abused. Like I couldn't ever say the word rape. Like I couldn't even say what it really just like black and white was because I still, there was part of me that was like, no, 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 it wasn't that bad. Like, no, no, no. Like there was something in me that literally it was like, I I had to come to terms with like what actually happened and that it was not okay. Even though I knew the person, you know, like even whatever it is, even though I was drinking, even though whatever, it was not okay. You know what you were saying too, this is just a total side note, but it was making me think that these narratives that men are the sexual beings and women we're not, and we need to help control the man's less. Like, also can cause so much shame later on for the men 
in the, in the purity culture movement who, you know, maybe they have sexual issues later on, but they're supposed to be this yeah. raging sexaholic, but they're the ones having yep. issues. Yep. Insert all the shame because that's, that's not how they're supposed to function. They're just supposed to like want everything that every female that moves like what, <laughs> you know, and just yep. on both ends, it can create so much shame. And just wanted to say that for a second for the men and for women, of course, it's like so flattening and uh, we don't have any sexual desire. Oh yeah. I, I'm never tempted to make out with a man. Like there's no tempting for me. Um, I'm just here to, to be the good one, the good girl, the modest girl that helps the man. I mean, like what? I think we see this, you know, think of in high school when girls are labeled as sluts and boys are labeled as jocks and they got it and they, they conquered and they took, wow. and we're weaponizing scripture to defend that language. We're weaponizing scripture to defend that point of view. And just as you said, it's derogatory. It's demeaning to a man and it gives not a holistic picture of a woman and her identity and her needs and her desires and how God created her. Oh, yes. And just, I don't know, as a as a feminist myself and speaking and being friends with people like you, Tiffany, our other friend, Ashley, our other friend, Kat, Kelsey, like all these, I'm like, man, like the world is such a better place with women as leaders as well. And women who like can own our boundaries and know who we are and speak up for things like we need that. And the male is so complimented with the female, like in a beautiful way, like we need, it's the partnership. We need both. And I, I don't know. I just wanted to say that because I I think of it and I'm like, gosh, like <laughs> we just, we need both y'all. I don't want to eliminate the men from like our lives. I like, I love men. I want to fight for healthy masculinity and for healing and for the man to be seen and within all of his wounds. And I want to give space and elevate women who have been suppressed for so long, especially, you know, in the patriarchy of society, but also in the Christian world. Like, I just don't believe it's Jesus's character at all. In fact, I know it's not to have women in the positions that they've been for so many years. All right, friends. So as a woman who's actually been abused and taken advantage of in the past, coupled with also being a woman who has lived in bigger cities, I always want to make sure that I feel safe wherever I go. Even now in Los Angeles, when I walk around my neighborhood, when I go run errands or venturing out into new areas of LA, I just always want to make sure that I feel safe. So I discovered this incredible brand made by women that is absolutely amazing. It's called Birdie. Birdie is a personal safety alarm that is easy to carry and simple to use. Seriously, I tried it and I love using it. It's so easy to use, you guys. When activated, the alarm will emit a loud siren and flashing light to help deter an attack. Birdie is no danger to you, so you can feel confident using it. And as a bonus, it comes in fun colors, so you'll actually want to carry it. I actually got a few to give to some of my friends because they make phenomenal gifts. With Birdie, you can keep doing what you love with added peace of mind. Before you leave the house, you do the checklist for your phone, your keys, and your wallet. And now it's time to add one more thing before you walk out the door. Birdie is the newest essential addition to your routine. Sometimes it's hard not to worry about the what ifs of life. What if I don't make it in time? What if I mess up? What if I feel like I'm in danger? If you don't want to worry when it comes to your safety, especially as a woman, you need Birdie. So how do you get it? You can visit She's Birdie, spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash heart. And by doing that, you'll get 15% off. 
That's she'sbirdie.com slash heart to get 15% off your order. I could not recommend it more, you guys. Please go check it out if you want to feel safe in your routine. I just love my birdie and I'm going to be giving them away to so many of my friends from here on out. Okay, so friend, I want to transition. We can go on and on about female silencing and just purity culture and all of that and the shame there. I want to transition also into one of the buzzwords that we use today a lot, which is the word narcissism. And I will say this. uh, I think that we throw around the word narcissist a lot, actually. Sometimes we overuse it to this day. That person's just a narcissist. And I think it devalues or uh, dilutes really the sense of a true narcissist. Once we start saying everybody's a narcissist, they have a show a little bit of pride. They're a narcissist. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, like, uh, it, it because there are actual living and breathing narcissists and people who are abusing power all over the place. And uh, we were talking earlier before this, and I've shared this on the podcast, but years ago I dated somebody. And one of the hardest parts about the abuse cycle that I was in with this man was that when I did reveal things that were happening to people in my life, no one believed me because they couldn't actually believe that the guy that I was saying abused me or was doing these things would do something like that because he was so convincing. It was so convincing, his attitude, his demeanor, he's very charismatic. It was so convincing that people just could not believe that somebody like that was doing those things. And anytime I did voice it, it would keep, and nobody believed me or they would kind of like combat me a little bit. It kept me small. It kept me quiet. And so what are some red flag indicators of somebody who may be a narcissist and how do we stand up for ourselves against a narcissist? Oh, I love talking about this. (laughs) And I love that you also gave such a great precursor in understanding that narcissism is actually a diagnosed condition, Yes, but we can see narcissistic tendencies Mm -hmm. in people every day. So I'm glad you made that differentiation there. And I think first we have to understand that narcissists aren't these like posting pictures of their avocado toast and duck lips every day. They're actually (laughs) masters at first impression and manipulation. They are so charming. They can charm the most emotionally healthy person. Mm -hmm. And we, what happens is we believe people the first time we meet them. So if we have created an image or idea of somebody, it's very difficult to alter that first impression because we will search our own brains looking for confirmation bias and and really reasons to agree with that first impression we have of somebody. And again, this person exemplifying narcissistic tendencies, they are very gifted at employing techniques to groom us, to draw us closer. But in reality, those narcissistic tendencies to look for, look for social isolation. Does this person have relationships, horizontal relationships, not just vertical, where they're in charge of somebody? That's true. Um, Does this person have a tendency to critique and give criticism without any empathy or sympathy for other people's feelings? Does this person have an agenda if, and if others don't meet their needs and what they think matters, then they're dead to them and they're no longer useful? Does this person have an identity crisis where they believe that they are supreme over everyone else's needs and truly a warped sense of reality of what matters and the matters and values of society don't apply to them. The rules don't apply to them. They really believe that they're above the law, above reproach. They don't have to play by um, the rules of civility like everyone else does. And they can often use the excuse of candor, or I'm just keeping it real, or I just 
tell it like it is. All of these masks and excuses that really <laughs> try to hide their poor behavior and their inability to be in relationship. Mm. So there's these things to look for. And the hard thing is, what if this is somebody you're dating and they've been outrageously kind and benevolent to you? What if they have proven themselves time and time again with love? How do you reconcile that? And just as you shared, this was somebody that um, took advantage of you, but nobody could believe it because he was such a publicly kind person. And I think especially in the faith culture and of course in dating, we have a hard time grappling with the dissonance of somebody's character. If they are awesome in one area, surely they're awesome in every other area, that halo effect, if you will, where they're awesome in every part of their life. But that's not reality. The reality is, and Shonda Rhimes seems to grab this with all of her shows, (laughs) people have the capacity for both good and bad. Mm. People have the capacity for both growth and harm. Mm. And so being able to have the education to know that people aren't perfect, people aren't perfect, and we must not give unduly a man a place of untouchability and immunity from dissent, because look what happens is you wanted to speak up, but you were convinced that other people would believe him. And ultimately they did, as you shared. So we have to be able to look for these things and know like, what am I looking for here? What am I looking for in a relationship? In fact, I did a Instagram poll yesterday and questioned my followers, have you dated somebody exemplifying or, or demonstrating narcissistic tendencies? And over half of those who clicked on that poll said yes. Wow. And then they, my DMs were flooded with stories of women who were like, I'm now married to this person and I have three kids. <laughs> oh. And I wish I would have seen these signs when we were dating. Because what happens with narcissists, especially in relationships, romantic relationships, is this. They will make it all about themselves. But just when you're on the edge of realizing something's unhealthy, they will gaslight and believing you're the problem. Or they will what's called love bomb you. Love bomb. They will yes, remind you of how it. good and give you all of these good things and treat you so nicely. And so then you I can't do my life without you. Yes. I can't do my life without you. You're the one for me. Let me do this or let me give you this. And then what happens is we employ euphoric recall where we'll only recall the good parts of a relationship, the good parts of that connection. And we won't give ourselves the benefit of a holistic view of how there's been harm done to us. But by the time we are in a place where we can reconcile with that, a lot of damage has been done to our personal identity and self-esteem and self-worth. And we will likely only believe the retelling or narrative of the events by the person, again, demonstrating those narcissistic tendencies. Wow. Oh my gosh. So much of what you just said. And I haven't even really heard the term euphoric. What would you call it? Euphoric? Euphoric recall. Oh yes. Euphoric recall. And I call it similarly black and white thinking where you only remember the white part, the, the healthy part, the beautiful part, the good parts. Like, yep. and that's what you, it's like, and to your point, it's like the euphoric. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, he showed up in this moment. And I remember, I recognize that with my ex. Uh-huh. There'd be times, but you're the only one that gets me. You're the only one. You are like the most amazing person yes. I've ever met. Like, and you know, you, oh my gosh, I'm the only person that gets him. It's so manipulating when you think about it. When I say, it out loud, but like in the moment when you're connected and you're in that abuse kind of cycle and you guys abuse cycle, isn't just like physical abuse. So of course it's absolutely terrible. And I've been through that. It's emotional abuse and the manipulation and they get you in this cycle where it's like until they, the the attack, which is that attack could be some sort of really manipulative mood to get you to do something or whatever, or keep you small. And, but then they come at you with either an apology or a love bombing or, you know, or the gaslighting, something's going to have, going to keep you 
you in that loop over and over and over again? So much so that you're questioning like, wait, but, I mean, I th- saw something that was off, but th- was that really off? Or is that just me? Am I overreacting? Am I being dramatic? He's really a good person. He really cares about me. He really loves me. You know, and you just over and over and over again. I think something you mentioned too with an indicator is, especially when it comes to these kinds of people in the church, uh, definitely looking at their friendships. And the, and then I would say go so far as the depth of their friendships. Because my ex, for example, my abuser yep. had uh, a great amount of friends because he was very charismatic. I mean, everyone liked him and all the things. But when I really looked at it, there was no depth to his friendships. There was no depth. People didn't actually know him. You know, they spent a lot of time with him socially, but nobody actually knew him. And you you have to take a peek into that. So today when I date now in a new way, being as a person who in the past was in multiple toxic relationships, but I always am like super curious to learn what their friendships are like. Um, who are your friends? Who are your friends? And what do the friendships look like when you have a hard moment? Who do you go to? And how do you share with them? Like, I really get curious. I even watch how they dialogue together. Those things are really, really important. Are they only having surface level conversations or is this like a, Hey man, I'm really struggling. I really need to talk to you about this because I'm having like, this is coming up for me. Like, what is the depth of their friendship? Do people actually know them? Like, you know, you will find that people- Are they willing to be accountable? Yes, that's it. And I think you talk about this too, Tiffany, that there's also, you'll also notice that with a narcissist, don't be fooled with the fact that sometimes they are vulnerable. They know just the right amount to have that shallow vulnerability exactly. that is just enough for you to feel like, oh, well, they're being vulnerable. They're sharing something. But it's the shallow, they, they, they have to do that, right? It's part of the facade. Well, I have to get be believable. So I have to be vulnerable in some capacity but you have to really watch out for that shallow vulnerability. I also love what you talk about in your book, which is the idea of shallow repentance. So can you unpack that a little bit more? Because I really loved that. Like you'll, they'll often say some sort of very shallow apology. So share that a little bit more with us because that really resonated for me. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. We are so quick to force women to offer forgiveness to men who've taken advantage of them And it's baseless when really scripture points to forgiveness comes after repentance. You know, we often prop up King David after he sexually exploited Bathsheba and then she has a miscarriage. I mean, there's so much loss there. And Nathan, who's a male ally in the Old Testament, goes before David and says, you done did it. Everybody knows it. You need to repent. And we'd love to think that God restored everything back to David, but nothing could be further from the truth. Even the ancient of days is keeping keeping score of how you abuse your power. I mean, his own son tried to take his throne. He never had the kingdom he once had. His life was never the same. His own daughter was sexually exploited by his son. I mean, it's a hot mess. But we see a clear repentance there. We see a clear repentance. And in our modern day, again, just as you said, those who employ narcissistic tendencies are just vulnerable enough. They're just convincing enough to believe their telling of events. And it's it's just that carrot that's dangled when necessary. Not, not They don't won't dangle it unless they absolutely have to. Yes. And so being able to step back and look at, wait, I cannot award forgiveness for somebody who does, has not requested it and has not shown clear lament and repentance and a willingness to change their ways 
and we, we, we mustn't go on. And even worse, Kate, is when you see elders and members of the clergy and pastors encouraging girlfriends and wives to forgive their husbands for taking advantage of them or forgive your boyfriend for doing that. I'm sure he didn't mean it. If you just forgive him because you're going to have to live with that guilt. You're as if the, the, the true torture will be on them for wow. the, for no, for no forgiveness versus calling men to the carpet to treat women with dignity and respect and equality and honesty and true vulnerability. Again, it's this character over charisma. Charisma is attractive. It brings in money. It's, it's just like that siren that draws those pirates in and then they crash their boats, right? It really is dangerous. Mm. It's dangerous. Yeah. I've had this thing lately and I, I, this is just my own process as I'm sharing out loud here and I'm externally processing, but there's been a lot that, cause I'm instantly usually drawn to the charismatic person. I like someone who has a lot of personality extroverted and yet over time, what I have found and what I've been retraining myself to do is to look for somebody who they could be charismatic, but even the person who is not giving that person a shot to date, giving the person that may come off to me as a bit more quote unquote boring, okay, quote unquote in the beginning, giving that person a shot, not eliminating them because there's no quote unquote spark or initial chemistry, connection, infatuation, whatever, but seeing what may happen. Because honestly, for somebody like me who has been through a lot of abusive situations, a lot of dating situations, I know that I can attach more easily to the charismatic person. And so for me, not that I'm never going to date a charismatic person again and just say all charismatic people are narcissists. That's not true. That's not fair. And we shouldn't be doing that. But um, that I'm going to challenge myself personally to say, what it, what would it look like for me to date the person that maybe seems a little more quote unquote boring, not saying they are boring, but at first and get to know their character through time. And honestly, girl, I have seen this play out for some friends of mine that have similar kind of backgrounds where they have dated guys in the beginning, they were like, this guy, you know, he was, he's, eh, he's fine. And I'm like, girl, no, look at his character. Look at how he's pursuing you. Look at his integrity. Look at how he loves God. You need to do not break it off. Keep, keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. Like, and I encourage, there's two girls I'm thinking of and through time, Tiffany, it's amazing to see one of them is now married to the guy that, that was that, I mean, for, ah! yes, yes. For six months, she was like, I don't know about him. I don't know about him, but she kept going. Cause his character shined through. She was so used to just the hot and heavy mm. and the up and down. And there's something neurologically <laughs> that we are just used to. It seems normal to us that the boring mm -hmm. seems like, again, boring mm -hmm. or the slow and steady seems boring, but it's not. It's That is safe, actually. That's what we need. Yes. We need a bit somebody with exactly. a big emotional container that is loving and empathetic and that is steady, honestly. And so, and then my other friend that I was referencing, she just got engaged. So I'm like, praise God, look at this. This works. Oh, the guy, oh, those, so challenge it. yourself and your systems. And just, if you have been somebody that have dated a lot of narcissistic people or been drawn to people with more narcissistic tendencies, you know, we can also develop our own tools to be able to identify that and spot within us. What is it that like has made me attracted to those people? You know, they're very convincing. They're very good at what they do, but also I can take ownership for some of my part in knowing my own systems, my own upbringing, my own views of love and be able to um, grow in such a way that maybe we start becoming attracted to the character over just the charisma and that instant chemistry that we're usually drawn to. So anywho, that's just- Absolutely. I think we've got to look for the fruit of the spirit, yes, right? Yes, girl. We have to look for the fruit of the spirit. Like 
We need to see evidence of good fruit because if I'm going to go up and eat off that tree, I don't want that to be rotten. It can be all shiny as heck. But if it tastes like crap, then we've got a problem on our hands. Also, I should tell you something funny. Um, a long time ago, a coworker of mine, he was a psychologist where I was working, and he said, unless you puke in your mouth a little, go on a second date. <laughs> he was like, unless unless it's just that awful, like boring can is, st- is stable. Boring is beautiful. Yes. And you just never know. And I'm, I'm proof of that. I've been married. Um, I'm just coming up on 12 years yes, here. I've been girl. together for 13 and no sparks at first, no sparks for several, several months. But I was like, you're a good guy. And I'm just going to go with that for a minute. You're just a good guy. And you're never the kind of person I'd be drawn to. Um, you're not the kind of personality I'd be drawn to. And my marriage has been the sweetest, most safest place <laughs> Yes, um, because I looked past the charisma and I looked for the character. Yes. Oh my gosh. A flipping men. Girl. And I keep proving myself that this is true because I keep tapping back into just the char- charismatic guys. I'm like, maybe let's see what happens. And I'm like, oh no, this is not it, man. This is not <laughs> it for me. It's not a safe place. And again, not all charismatic guys, if you're listening right. to this and you're really extroverted and you're, no, it's not that way, but it's just for me, what's feeling safer in this moment is to really try out dating people who are just steady and secure and maybe not the ones I would look at first, but really their character shines through. And man, what a beautiful, I love that testimony for you and your hubby too. There's just all these sorts of stories going on out there, y'all. So get rid of your idea of a type, okay? And make your type be more attracted to the character of the person, the fruits of the spirit, the things that actually matter to God. All right, off my pedestal. That's the end of my TED talk there. Um, The last thing I really want to address really quickly with you, Tiffany, is feminine. Feminism, okay? Because let me just be honest. I was one of those people a few years ago that I was like, oh my gosh, feminists are crazy. And those are those people that are like just off the bonkers, like those are the off the bonkers, crazy females that will never let a man open a door for them and just blah, 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 blah. I had a lot of negative labels myself on what a feminist was. And so, and I still think that a lot of those negative labels, people in the church, if I'm saying, yeah, I'm a feminist, which I am, I'm proudly a feminist today. Yes, I would like, I proudly would say I'm a feminist, but I think that there's a bad label around that in the church that I've seen that is starting to get shaken up. But I just want to have a dialogue with you around what it looks like to be a feminist. What is really a feminist today? And do we think Jesus was a feminist? (laughs) Yeah. Now, in the last hundred years, unfortunately, the definition of feminist has changed time and time again. Mm -hmm. I mean, even 20 years ago, to today, even 10 years ago, even five years ago, as recently as 2015, we've continually redefined what feminist means. Mm. And, you know, many women of color are very turned off by the term feminist because it was heralded by white women in the 1920s during the suffrage movement. And again, in the 60s and 70s, when their needs weren't brought to the agenda, when we were looking for the Equal Rights Amendment or when, you know, it was white women wanted what their brothers and their dads and their uncles had. They wanted those positions. They wanted that bank account. They wanted a 401k. They wanted a credit card. It was primarily for white women to have what their white husbands had. And now we've changed that, I believe, to hopefully something a little bit more holistic where we're saying men and women deserve goodness and respect and dignity. It is inherent in who they are and everyone deserves it. So when I think of feminism now, the the feminism that I'm signing up for is one that brings into account race, class, obviously gender between men and women, and also uh, platform and prestige and being willing to say that everyone should have a chance to win. 
not just this elite people because, you know, even during the suffrage movement, white women wouldn't let black women march for them for voting rights. They made them go to the back of the line. They didn't want to be seen with them. They saw them as two separate issues, the black issue and the white, the, and the, and the female issue. And in reality, each one of us has many, um, many parts of us going on. I might want to go into the STEM field and be white, or I might want to go into the STEM field and be black. You know, there's all these things. We have to be able to look at this holistically. So when I think about it now, and I'm going to go ahead and define where I'm at with feminism is to believe that every man and woman deserve equality despite racial um, identity or class identity, resource identity, family lineage. Everyone is deserving of equality. So if that's the definition that we can bring to the table, then I think absolutely Jesus was for this. We see this just as I shared earlier as evidence with his encounter with women in the gospels. You see how you look at the woman caught in adultery who was brought out as a trap to catch Jesus and he empowers her to go and live a whole life not defined by that moment, Mm. not defined by what people wanted to take from her, not defined about what those men wanted to do to her. Mm. So it's, it's more than just, I want to have what white men have which you'd have to oppress a lot of people on the way there to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have to look at as I want I believe that every woman no matter what her racial identity is is deserving of fair pay and a place at the table at her church and healthy dating relationships where she doesn't have to do what's been told to her or she won't have love yeah. or I believe that she deserves a bank account and retirement and 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 in this day and age you see um, that misused and co-opted by certain denominations or sects, yes. S-E-C-T-S, yes. of the church who decide that this is bad and we are going to weaponize scripture to take away this idea. And in reality, we're talking about equality. Yeah, We're just talking about equality. So I think you got to pop that hot air balloon <laughs> because people get so, they just get up in themselves and like they get all heated about it. And before you know it, they're floating away on their balloon and you're like, wait a second here. Wait a second here. So when you boil it down, I have to believe, have to believe that you would want goodness, right? So what does that look like? That affects how we vote, how we date, where we go to church, what we believe about women in ministry, what we believe about women in leadership in general, what we believe about our girlfriends and our wives and believing that it is our job not to lord over them and constantly keep them lower in the hierarchy, but believe as God intended, they will be my equals and I will be an ally. Mm, that's so I mean, I'm, I'm raising little boys. And I, I've got to tell you, I, a couple of years ago when my, my 10 year old was, he was six years old. He's like, so can boys preach too? Oh my gosh. Can boys also? (laughs) And I'm just like, well, we must be doing something right. If he believes that men and women can do both of these things. Right. So just modeling this and really living this out and, and pushing for this, because it's one thing to believe it, um, and say, we're a feminist. Jesus was a feminist. But it's another thing to invite allies and partnership in and see men, okay, do you want to be a feminist? So when you got that job opportunity, who could you have called and made sure got that opportunity? How would you leverage your own place in space to ensure that women have what you have? Mm. Because it's an all of us issue. Just we talked it's about. an all of us issue. And it so affects how we show up in dating as well. And I just, I love it because there's a lot of stigmas yeah. that have been put on a lot of things. And I think we just need to 
get rid of those stigmas and come back to the reality, come back to the truth, come back to scripture, come back to the way of Jesus. And what is this? This is fighting for equal rights. This is equality. This is a, there's, this is an everybody issue and an issue that Jesus cared about if we look at the character of Jesus. And so I love that. I wanted to touch on that because I think it does affect even how we show up in dating. And um, of course, you know, there's always going to be, and the thing, the thing I'm sure people are thinking right now, which is coming to my head is like, somebody's like, well, what about the woman who's like, no, don't open the door for me and things like that. Here's the thing. I am a feminist that loves being, I love living in my feminine, which means like, I love the feminine Mm. energy is I love to receive. That's a receiving energy. I love, I'm practicing that. I think there's a lot of training for women that in an office place, we need to have masculine energy. You know, I have to go in there and kill it and blah, blah. And so outside, especially outside of work, I'm like, I want to be in my feminine. I want to receive. I want to practice receiving, which for me is like going on an airplane. If a guy offers to put my suitcase up above, I'm like, yes, thank you. I would love for that. Thank you for your help. So just practicing receiving from a man when I go to dinner, I am definitely going to practice receiving if he wants to offer to pay for dinner. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much. You know, practicing living in that feminine. I am a feminist and I love to live in my feminine nature, which is part of my DNA. And I think it's beautiful. And so I think that being a feminist doesn't mean that you are just naturally this person that's like, no, don't open the door for me. Don't do anything chivalrous. Like, I just, I don't think that's the yeah, case. Totally. Yeah. There's this benevolent sexism that says, I'm doing this for your good. I'm lifting your bag because you can't, or I'm going to pay for this because you can't. That way I have control over what happens after dinner, right? right? That's not what we're going no. for. And I think just as you said, it's beautiful. It's called, it's kindness. Yes. I think, you know, chivalry is great. Kindness is better. Yeah. The offer of generosity to pay for somebody's meal, to lift their bag, to open the door. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you. Last time I checked, kindness was a fruit of the Yes. Spirit. Praise. You know Hello. Clap hands. So yes. If we're looking for the fruit of the spirit, then we can celebrate and receive and also give that reciprocity and be kind and surprise him with a drink at his yes, workplace girl. on his lunch break or whatever. Yes, you know what yes. I'm saying? Like there's room to enjoy reciprocity of I want to serve you and love you because you exist and you are worthy of love, not because I think you need it, but because that is who you are. And then also being able to receive that and rejoice, mm. rejoice and enjoy it. Yes. I love it. Girl. Well, I'm so grateful for you, for this book, for all the research you put into this, for this conversation. And before we leave, I have to ask you just really quick, your final nugget of dating advice for the Heart of Dating listeners today. Ah, this is so much fun. I would just say my advice for dating, maybe I gave myself away by saying, <laughs> unless you puke in your mouth a little go on a ah, second date. I love that. But just that to be enjoy advice. it. It's just so easy to overthink. Just to enjoy someone's company. Just We just... We're women. We just overthink. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I, maybe you, some of you don't overthink, but I think that there's just so much room to have fun. I just encourage you to have fun. Oh, I love it. Tiffany, girl, I love you. Where can everybody connect with you and get your book? All right. You can buy the book wherever books are sold, but you can find links to your favorite indie and mainstream retailers at tiffanybloom.com. And there's all kinds of goodies to go along with it. A summit by leading psychologists and historian, activists and theologians around this issue because this really does affect all of us. I love it, girl. Thank you so much for being on today. This is incredible. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. You're the goat girl. Greatest there ever was. Love you, boo. Mwah. <laughs> Mwah. 
All right, y'all. I told you that was some fire. We talked about narcissism, feminism, silencing women, and how we can actually be the change in the church today. Oh, what a conversation. It is so needed. I really hope and pray you will go connect with Tiffany over on Instagram. She is challenging in the best ways possible. And please, you guys, go get a copy of her book, Pray Tell. It is out right now, and you guys know it. I am here to support my author friends because I know the pain and the sacrifice and the courage that it takes to write a book. And let me tell you, Tiffany put some incredible research into writing this book, Pray Tell, And let's get behind her, encourage her, and support her by getting a copy of Pray Tell. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much, as always, for listening, and we will see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.